Praise the Lord. One more time. One more time. That's what we're believing for. Amen. Thank you again, Pastor. What an honor to be here. And I just honor you and your wife, brother. Thank you for your ministry. And I appreciate so much the gift of the pastor. And I promise you that that is a gift from God to the church. Amen. It's very difficult to pastor in this hour. Not that it has ever been easy, but it's more difficult probably than it's ever been before. There's just too many outside voices. Everybody under the sun saying something. A thousand outlets with a thousand sound bites, a thousand reels, and a thousand thoughts. But I can tell you what, to shepherd the people of God, amen, to feed the flock of God, the Word of God, I can tell you it's a rare thing in this hour. But I know you have a preacher of the Word, and I know he loves the people. And I thank God for men such as that. So thank you, Pastor, for your invitation and allowing me to still be a part of what God is doing at Victory Temple. 67 years. And I believe that it's going to go on until Jesus comes. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter number 9. I want to read uh, one verse there in 25. And then I want to read in Matthew 16 and verse 18. And I've sure had a uh, believe that God is going to definitely speak to our hearts. And as you pray continually for the mind of the Lord, uh, the preceding word of God is sure what we need in this hour. And I believe the Lord to speak to this church because the evangelist is a gift from God to the church as well. And I do know that that is our prayer this week, that we would be just that, a gift from God to you, that we could, by the Spirit of the Lord, make an increase in this house in some spiritual capacity. I believe God to do it. We need the Lord. We need revival. There's no other way. There's, no, there's nothing else, folks, nothing else but the church. And we need to be that in this hour because we are... The cure of the world. And I'm so encouraged today as I just returned from a very long trip to find out that the church is all over the world. I was in new parts of the world that I've never been before. After three days of traveling, you're pretty much delusional from time changes and everything, when you're, especially when you're moving ahead of time, ten and a half hours. That's a, about as much as I've ever done. And three days of traveling, up 24 hours at least, I couldn't sleep. And you're just kind of out of sorts. You're just in a new environment. Everything's different. My family's not with me. And I went Sunday morning into a church service that I was assigned to preach in that day. And when I walked into that service, immediately I was swept. And it's almost like a riptide just, just sucked me out into the depth of what was already flowing in that house. That place was packed with people. Most more than what I really expected. I didn't know what to expect. But probably at least 400 or so people in there. Worshiping God in a language I did not know. But I'll tell you there was such an anointing there. It brought me right into the presence of God. And I was at home. Amen. I said okay. I know I got my bearings now. I know where I'm at. I'm in the presence of the Lord. I'm in the church. And I thank God no matter where you are, it's still the same. God's the same. And I thank God for that opportunity uh, that he gave me to be encouraged in that part of the world. And very different religions, very, very different culture. But I found that there's a people serving God there. Reaching people. 
I preached for a Pakistani church in United Arab Emirates in Dubai on the next Sunday. And I was there. They don't have churches. They rent worship centers. They are able to just allot a time space for the space that they get there. And I was with those people. And that pastor has been there 12 years. He came as a migrant worker originally. God uh, called him to be a pastor. And he told me that he has baptized in these years of time uh, over 100 Hindus. He's baptized, he said, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I, I, he said his wife, I began to talk to his wife. She has a ministry. She does every week at the mall there. And there's women that are maids and, and cleaners and stuff that are there. And, and she cooks a meal for them. They come. They're, not, they're there without their families. They're working. But she cooks a meal once a week, shares the word of God with them, and is leading many of them to the Lord. There was a whole group of them that was there at the church that she has led to the Lord. What I'm saying is I'm encouraged because the church, all over this world, there are people serving God. Amen. They're doing the ministry, folks. They're committed to it. Their life is given to it. It, it, it doesn't matter how unsafe it is. It doesn't matter what's against them, the government's threats. It, it doesn't matter. There's a church there. Amen. But I, I tell you what, we need a people that have a substance of this life in this nation. Amen. It just takes a hangnail to knock most people out for about six weeks or so. And this, but I tell you what, God has a people. Amen. I've been encouraged. I believe I'm with some of them people here tonight. It's an exciting time to be alive, folks. Jesus is coming. Hallelujah. The kingdoms of this world will pass away. Amen. But we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thank God its foundation is eternal. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 9 verse number 25 says this. Now there, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah. The prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. I want to look at Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. One verse. You could probably quote it, I'm sure. Jesus speaking, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Daniel said, it shall be built again, even in troublous times. I want to preach tonight under this thought, building in troublous times. Can you pray for me right now as we agree, God, to bless this preaching of the word. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for the nearness of your presence that's been here all day long. God, you are with us. God, of a truth, let it be said, God is among these people. Let it be evident in signs and wonders following. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear. God, captivate the hearts and mind of your people. Let the word have free course. Anoint me to convey the message. Make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. And Lord, most importantly, may you be glorified in it all. Because you alone are worthy. In the name above every name we pray. That's the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. 
You can be seated. In the presence of the Lord. Preaching on building in troublous times. Daniel said, it shall be built again, even in troublous times. This is an encouraging thought to me tonight. And there should not be anyone among us this this evening that needs a convincing to the fact that we are in troublous times. And while there have always been troublous times, I believe that we are perhaps in the most troublous that we have ever been, at least we know in our lifetime. Time would fail me tonight to highlight all of the horrible conditions of our day, the moral depravity of our nation, the disintegration of all things decent, the extreme antagonism and the pressure and the opposition of an enemy, sin abounding, truth falling, faith seems to be failing, church attendance declining, faithfulness becoming a lost attribute, saints stuck in religious ruts, and the church for the most part looking more like the world than Christ's holy bride. But I want to tell you something here tonight, that no matter how awful the conditions may be around us, or how hopeless the circumstances may seem, I've got a word for you tonight, and that word is this, it shall be built again even in troublous times. Can you shout hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. I said it shall be built again. As a matter of fact, the troublousness of times is always in direct relation to the building of something, and the troublousness of these times are more or less directly intended to hinder the building of the work of God. You see, hell knows that God is building something and that is the reason for the opposition. I can promise you that many in this natural world may not understand this, but I can tell you if there are men and women that have eyes to see here tonight, then you know that we are a part of a kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus did away with all of that thought at the breaking in of the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts when the disciples were still in their natural mind still in limited capacity Jesus told them that he had many things he wanted to share with them but they could not bear them at that point of time there was too much limitation in the natural life that would allow them not to receive the fullness of what he wanted to share but he said that the comforter is going to come and when he comes, he will take of mine and he will show it unto you. He's going to take the things that are mine and he's going to reveal them to you. Well, we know that that capacity was broke wide open in the day of Pentecost fully came. And in that upper room, the sound of wind and we know that cloven tongues of fire sat on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. We know that that capacity was enlarged in that moment. Just prior to that, Jesus was telling them to tarry in Jerusalem until they be endued with power. 
The question to him was this. Will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? Well, Jesus had already spent three and a half years of time probably with some of those that were there near to him. But in all of that years of teaching, the observance of the miracles, the hearing of the teachings of the word of the kingdom, and yet still there was something not settling in their spirit. He was 40 days after the resurrection teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. But even after all that, the spirit breathed on them and no doubt they were regenerated in the moment when he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. But there was still limitation on the life of those early apostles until the Spirit came. But when the Spirit came, he broke in and he brought revelation of everything that was in an outward way. He broke in in an inward way. And suddenly everything that they only knew in an outward way came on the inside of them. It was in rod. There was no more questions to the restoration of Israel. There was simply the preaching of the Word of God. And when they came out of that upper room, it wasn't about a restoration to Jerusalem or or Israel. It was about preaching the kingdom. Go and teach the things that I have told you. Teach them to observe what's been commanded. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And in that moment, their eyes were opened to a kingdom that was not of this world, friend. God began to build a church. Hallelujah. I said God began to build his church. And the gates of hell would not prevail against it. If your eyes are open to this reality, you understand that our eyes are fixed upon a heavenly world. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We are simply a part of building up a kingdom that is eternal. And we have been called to such a vocation. And if we are not operating in that, then surely we are not fulfilling our God-ordained purpose in still being here. But if we understand, no matter what comes out of the news media, no matter what comes out of Washington or whoever sits on the Supreme Court or anything else in the governments of this world, I can tell you this, that there is something happening in this world that is beyond anything that this natural mind can know or comprehend. It takes a spiritual man to understand spiritual things. And I want you to know that in the midst of all the chaos of this world, God has a people and He is building a church. He's reaching people. I preached in a migrant worker camp in Dubai, United Arab Emirates. 200,000 workers, they say, are in this camp, the largest one in the world. They represent five, six different countries from all 
surrounding that Middle Eastern world and there in the middle of that we're in the open air with a group of men and we're there worshiping God and preaching the kingdom. There was a man that said he was saved in that camp. He's now moved back to the country of Nepal. He was saved in the camp and start a house church in Nepal that's grown to 200 people. I'm telling you, friend, Christ is going to have a bride. She's going to be without spot or wrinkle. we got to be careful that we don't have limited sight. It's easy to get caught up in our little worlds. But I want you to know that this kingdom is bigger than America. This kingdom is bigger than the world. It's God's eternal kingdom. Hallelujah. It's easy to get caught up in our own little worlds. We, for the most part, I've watched American preachers for the last years of time believe everything revolves around the U.S. of A. And friend, it does not. It revolves around Israel and the church. And the time clock of God is always fixated upon what's happening in those worlds. I want to tell you, we we have a little uh, a president we don't want in the in the country and we think the end has come. I'm not saying it's not a sign but I'm just here to tell you this. This church marches on. I've watched Pentecostal preachers. You'd have thought God died four years ago. I said man if I followed you I'd be sucking my thumb in a corner somewhere. But I didn't realize how much confidence Pentecostal preachers put in man. But I tell you what friend. I cut my teeth on soldiers in this kingdom that said this is the way. Walk ye in it. This kingdom functions under any government and any system. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to give him praise if you believe it. Amen. I want you to know that God is building something and we are a part of that. If you're committed to the Lord, you're a part of the building. It doesn't matter what it seems to be going on around us in the natural. He said, I will build my church. Amen. Jesus said that. He said, I'll build my church. Now, if you're trying to build it, you're on your own. But the psalmist was wise enough to know, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. There's a lot of works of men in this hour, especially in the good old U.S. of A. Amen. We got a lot of good business administrators standing behind pulpits. Come on, somebody. They know how to run a system, but I can tell you very few know how how to be a voice for God in this hour. Many of them are not converted at all. We we got a lot of glorified business administrators, but there's something different when it comes to the kingdom. This is a, a kingdom not of this world. Now, I want to look because I know that hell is in direct opposition to the building of this house. We've known this from, from years past. I could take you 
you through the entirety of the Old Testament and let you see how there's always been an opposition to the real testimony of the Lord Jesus. I mean the fullness of it. Not a broke down version of it. Not not a half-hearted version of it. I'm not a pseudo version of it. Are you listening? I'm telling you a fullness of glory. A fullness of reality. A fullness of clarity. Where you don't scratch your head when you leave the house wanting to know what was said or what people believe. But you knew whether you agreed or disagreed there was full clarity in the message. Uh, We live in this cloaked hour of everything you can't tell what it is. It vacillates from one thing to the next. You can't ever put it in the crosshairs and whenever you do brother that thing gets violent. I said whenever you do that thing gets violent. I've seen that reaction. No question about it. Hell is in opposition to those that are building something for God. And you need to know that the opposition of your life and of the church is a direct result of the labor of love in the Lord. I want to look at Nehemiah in relation to this text tonight and this prophetic word from Daniel. I want you to see how I want to highlight a practical fulfillment of this prophetic word given by him. You understand the conditions of Nehemiah's day. It was a poor testimony. It was failure, debris, wreckage, and ruin marked the testimony of Nehemiah's day. This is what stirred him up from the work to begin with. It brought him from his lofty position of favor with God and man to take on the burden to get in the mess and the muck of a poor testimony. God, God, I believe the Lord has such people in this hour. Nehemiah 1 and 3 says, And they said to me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. The wreckage and the ruin of a former testimony was enough to cause this man to be so burdened he would leave that place of comfortability and walk on down into the streets of Jerusalem. Get in the dust. Get in the mess. Get in the rubble. Get in the ruin of that which claimed to represent God but was a poor testimony of it. But he wasn't satisfied. It didn't matter that his 401k was blessed. It didn't matter that his faithfulness got him favor to even be where he was at. That didn't matter to him. His own consideration of his life did not matter. What mattered was the testimony of the Lord. My God, the willingness to go down into that mess and say, I just can't live knowing that this testimony 
testimony is a poor example of what God intended this, this nation to be. I'm telling you what, friends. We've watched through these years of time. I've seen the wreckage of what once stood as great fortified walls called the Pentecostal Church. Up now the enemy has been given access because of the disobedience of those that claim to represent his name. And because of their unwillingness to do what God said, they could not live under his blessing. But oh, I'm telling you, there was a day, friend, where there was respectability among the pulpit. There was a day, there was favor among the preachers. But I've watched men, you call it a fall if you want to, but I call it jumping off the cliff. We said, oh, the devil set a trap for them, and they fell into the trap. They didn't fall into nothing, friend. They jumped with their eyes wide open. They jumped into the things they knew was not to be named among the people of God. And I'm telling you, friend, it's a terrible, terrible testimony. The wreckage of the failure of men and women that did not want to continue to walk in truth. But I tell you, there's a day. I've, I talked with a man. He had just come from South Korea. And you probably know much about that country. But Christianity has a great foothold in that world. I'm telling you, that's where the largest assembly of God church in the world, at least at one time, I don't know the numbers now, were at that time. That man passed away not long ago. But it was the largest church in the world. He said, if you're a preacher there, he said, you, you, you go into any suit shop, you go anywhere. He said, they find out you're a pastor, they give you deals on everything. Amen. You get discounts. You get my, how you get respectability. You, you get honor honor wherever you go. I'm telling you, Christianity has made a footprint even in the government there. If you're a pastor, you belong to the church. There's great favor in that land in every regard. I said, God, I, surely it was like that in America. I remember when I first got in, uh, 25 years nearly ago, there was respectability among the clergy. But I've watched this thing, brother. They've gotten in bed with every other kind of a thing they've been in the bed with other men's wives they've got God given to filthy lucre and everything else brother what happened we diminished the testimony brother something happened they knew what they were doing don't give me this mess I'm telling you when you know you know brother and you gotta step over God the Holy Ghost the word of God and everything you know to be true right and real to do it Our commitments used to be to the house. Nothing would keep us out of this house. Nothing. Not a ball game. Not anything. I know that there are pressing things of life that people cannot come. I, I'm not talking about, uh, you know what I'm saying here tonight. But I'm talking about if you're, you're just sitting home on your...
rather be there than in the house of the Lord. There's a day our commitment was to God and his house. And we wonder the mess of our society. We wonder the reprobate mind of this nation. I love this nation. I go when I'm invited to anywhere. I told God, wherever you send me, I'll go. But I tell you, I love this land. And I love this American church. And my heart is for the testimony of God in this hour. But I'm telling you, friend, it's time for us to gain the respectability of society again. It's time to know what manner of people we ought to be and quit acting a fool everywhere we go. And when you claim to represent God, there's nobody perfect, but you got to do your best to say, I'm a Christian, and it means something. And all this Debris and wreckage, the brazenness of sin. I've never seen it quite like it is today. The brazenness of men to walk in iniquity and act like nothing's happened. We'll celebrate them two weeks later, brother. You mark that word. We'll do something. We'll, we'll, we'll start another church. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll be preaching grace now. All of a sudden, they got a whole new revelation of what it's supposed to be. Are you listening to me? Now, all of a sudden, you know, we divided the thing, and, and, we, and now we're Harmony Church, and we're Unity Church, and we're Grace this and all that other. I'll tell you what, friend, it doesn't matter what men want to change this thing. There still's a way to live. There's nobody able to do this in their cell. But there's a still way to walk uprightly, brother. It still matters how you handle your money. It still matters how you treat people. It still matters how you worship. It still matters what you preach and how you live. I don't care how wrecked it may seem. I'm telling you, God wants to do something out of the ruin. God wants to do something. We need to understand something. We'd all be doomed if it wasn't for the grace of God. But I can tell you what, we ain't allowing that to diminish what we're called to represent. What we're called to be in this hour. To say that I, I belong to Jesus. To say that I'm a Pentecostal. I know that can mean a thousand things in this world. But I can tell you it ought to mean sanctified, set apart, filled with the Holy Ghost, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and walking in the truth as it is in Jesus. Walking in the light as He is in the light, and the blood of Jesus is cleansing me from my sin. We live in a time where men believe they can do what they want to do, friend. But this Bible tells me that blood only cleanses what walks in the light. And if I'm going to hide in the dark, I can tell you there's nothing for me there because grace, the first thing it teaches me is to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present hour. I can tell you my heart is heavy. I want the Lord's testimony to shine brighter in this country than it's ever shown. Amen. I want people to know that's a spirit-filled man. I can hire him on the spot. And I guarantee you he'll be at work on time. He'll do the best job he can possibly do. And he won't cheat me out of the time clock.
you listening to me, friend. That ought to be the reputation of those of us that walk with God. But I want you to know that that great Pentecostal testimony, if you want to call it that, for a lot, for the most part, has been brought down to some, some a great degree. But I want you to know something also. I'm not just basing things on what they seem to be. I'm basing them on the Word of God. And if I didn't live according to the Word, I'd find me something else to do, brother. I'd find me another job. I'd find me another career. Because this ain't just a job. This is a call. How are you listening to me? This is a call of God. And if whatever becomes to be something else, but I've seen men, they want to work their way and elbow their way into a pulpit somewhere and they don't have a job to belong don't belong there. They should be ushering an aisle somewhere. They should be an associate to somebody somewhere. But everybody wants to be the big dog and so they found them a little group of people that call them pastor. I'm only here for three more nights. It's a good place to drink water. It's going to get better, folks. Got to dig a little. You know what I'm saying? I know that's a foreign thing. But how many of you like, you know, sometimes you got to dig around that heart. Are you with me? There's times I thought I was doing good, Brother Udy. I'm telling you, man, I'm doing wonderful with the Lord. And then he starts digging on me. And he starts showing me stuff. And he starts uncovering things. And, I, and he goes to digging around there. Hey Amen. It's a little uncomfortable. But boy, I like it once I get that thing uprooted. All of a sudden, I get that old rock out of the way, that old root out of the way. And you know, something starts happening. All of a sudden, I got some room. Now, now, all of a sudden, some water begins to flow in in that empty place. And some refreshing begins to come from the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that God will still deal with my heart. Now, I want you to know the moment that you take up the occupation of building something for the Lord. I want you to take note of the fact that what Nehemiah was building walls around Jerusalem. It doesn't take a lot for me to explain to you because I know you understand that walls is what fortified the city. The walls coming up, not only did it protect everything on the inside, but it kept everything on the outside that didn't belong on the inside. But when there are no walls established, then guess what? Now, you already know the history through Ezra and everything how that even when it comes to the laying the foundation of the temple, that there was opposition even there. The first type of opposition was they wanted to come assist in the building of the work. You see, they said, we worship your God just like you do. That's what the opposition told Ezra whenever this remnant first came back from Babylon. And they offered their assistance to the building. And I tell you what, friend, they have no problem saying they worship your God as well. 
I'm telling you, it takes discernment to live a spiritual life. And you got to understand, just because that thing opens up its mouth and says it serves the same God as you do, doesn't mean it's serving the same God as you do. Well, we worship Him too. Yeah, you might try to worship Him, but you worship everything else at the same time. And that's the problem, is you're trying to worship both things. And I don't care if it's 2023 or 1903, this book hadn't changed, brother. And you can't serve God and the world at the same time. Now, Zerubbabel and Joshua knew this. And they diabolically opposed that kind of witchcraft. You see, the enemy just wanted that foothold. Well, you know, I, I, got, big, I got deep pockets. Come on, I'll build up my finance this deal. Come on. I wonder how many fi- churches the devil has financed in this country. Amen. Well, that was the favor of God. We bought the airline center or, or the whatever the center is. There's a lot of centers being bought these days. Amen. I'm just saying, you know, bought the stadium. I mean, crazy faith bought the stadium. I, I don't care. It's crazy, all right. And I'll tell you what it is. Just because you got a stadium don't mean God's the one that did it. Oh, it has to be God. The devil is a liar, brother. Are you hearing me? Just because the thing's big doesn't mean it's God. Just because it had the money to buy all the, all the buildings in the community didn't mean God's funding the thing. He said, we worship your God just like you do. I know you do, and you worship all other kinds of gods too, and that's the problem. And he said, you'll have no place in this building, sir. We're going to build this ourselves, and we don't there's two or three of us gathered in this house. We're going to have something here. We're going to have the Lord Jesus here. And he is going to build this not by might or power, but by his spirit. Amen. See, that's the way deception works. Now, now, you know that ultimately there was discouragement in that building. But eventually there's enough prophecy come forth to stir that remnant up again to finish that temple. Now, okay, we we no problems now. We're, we're just carrying on, but there's no walls to fortify the worship. And, and whenever there's not, guess what? There's just inroads of everything coming in and out. That enemy ultimately found himself a little foothold in that worship. He got him an office in the back. Come on. He made his way to the deacon board. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Someone told <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to skip on by just that thought I just had. But I, I'll tell you what. You know, he just found his way on the staff. He found his way in the boardroom. Uh, whatever it may be, he got it influenced now. But I tell you, God's about to clean this thing up. Because the way the Lord intends this thing, the fullness of this testimony, it's what he showed Ezekiel, and the fullness of this testimony would be fortified walls around that entirety of that city. That worship's going to be holy worship. It's going to be consecrated to the Lord. It's going to be sanctified. Only holy men of God are going to bear that ark, and they're only holy men and women of God are going to worship at that altar, and we're going to make sure that whatever comes in and out of that gate is going to be viewed when the sun's hot that means we can see fully and totally what's coming in and out Jesus said that the thief comes but to kill steal and destroy and you know what else he said about that thief he comes in another way but Jesus said I'm the door I am the gate 
and through him is the only way into that eternal city. But a thief and a robber comes up another way. Why do you think he doesn't want the gates built? See, because whatever comes in and out of that gate has to pass through the scrutiny of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it ain't Christ, it ain't coming in. Are you listening? But that thief comes up another way. He don't want walls built because he has to try to find another way to get in. And when those walls are built, we know that the enemy is kept out. But everything that's on the inside is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it comes into that house, it has to come through that gate. There's no other way of getting in. Amen. Aren't you glad you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? I'm so thankful that I got through the gate, brother. I come through by faith in His name. I've been redeemed by His precious blood. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and so have you if you're born again. But in this awful condition, you have to understand that what Nehemiah represented it was, a, was something that at one time was a great testimony. Now, I want you to notice something. As they began to build these walls, there was something of a crescendo in the aggression or the antagonism of the adversary. And it was always in proportion to the work that was going on. You see, when Nehemiah came onto the scene, he came to contemplate the proposition of building what seemed to be an impossible situation. And if you'll notice right off the bat, there were two men. Sanballat and Tobiah and they were there on the scene and the scripture says they were grieved exceedingly Nehemiah 2 and verse 10 says when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel notice the troubling of the devil here in these men then you read in chapter 4 verse number 1 it came to pass when Sanbel had heard that we builded the wall he was wroth and he took great indignation and mocked the Jews what you're seeing here is a progression in the antagonism of the enemy later in that same chapter of chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 it goes on to say so we built the wall and when the wall was joined together to the half thereof. That means they're halfway through this impossible work that the enemy had been trying to oppose already. Now even just at the contemplation of it, he was stirred up. Now he's really stirred because they're halfway through the work. And so it says at the halfway point, it said they joined together to the half thereof because the people had a mind to work. But it came came to pass that when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Astadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up, that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were, watch this, very wroth. They went from wroth to very wroth. 
You see how that this is increasing because the building is going on. And as the building continues, the adversary gets fiercer and fiercer. Now, every time that the inner councils of Nehemiah was exposed concerning their positive construction in the work, you'll find out that, the, that what they were after was the recovery of something that represented God in a divine way. This is a spiritual reality, folks. What they were setting their hand to do was the object of God-given prophecy. Now, there's something at work beyond flesh and blood. And it's almost like we have no... God has burdened my heart at least over the last year and a half to continually remind the church that we are in a spiritual warfare that is an enmity between two seeds and it's not flesh and blood. There's spiritual wickedness in high places. And as soon as this object was contemplated... There was a reaction from the enemy. He's wroth. He's very wroth. He's filled with indignation. Reminds me of the early church. When they tried to lock them up in prison. Tell them not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And the Bible said that that religious crowd was filled with what? Indignation. Amen. Let me go on here. You're listening good. Now, I want you to know that as long as they were there, that they're in content to live in the ruins. See, this work's increasing. It's going on. The adversary's getting fiercer and fiercer. And whenever their inner counsels were disclosed and revealed the talks behind closed doors, you find out that their enmity wasn't really particularly against Nehemiah as the person of Nehemiah as far as who he was. He, as long as he was idle, there was no issue. As long as he was content to live in the ruins of a past testimony. No problems. We get along. Pastor gets a bonus in October. Everyone gets along. The church has no problems. Everything's wonderful. The home's in order. Everything seems to be going good. But I want you to know that the moment that there was a building, the moment that there was something of a positive moving forward and a construction in the work, as long as there was something that represented a recovery of God's purpose in the earth, then immediately there was something that the enemy began to become more wrath about the things that was going on. And maybe you're here tonight and you're asking yourself concerning the troubles that are in your life and the perplexities that seem to be on every hand. 
You say, what is this all about? I want to tell you what it's all about. It's because they were given to the work. These people had given their hands to Nehemiah, and you and I have given our hands to the Lord. We are given to pursue His purpose in the earth, and out of that which has been a shame to Him, out of that which has been a poor testimony of that which claims to represent Him in this earth, then out of that we have put our hands to the work and say we're going to build up the testimony of the Lord. We're going to see the wall establish the city of God in glory and we are given our lives to do that and whenever you do that you can assure conflict is knocking on your door. But friend I want to tell you something. You can float your little religious boat all your life. But life's too short for that, Brother Chad. Life's too short. No, no. I ain't just looking for likes on social media. I ain't just looking for pats on the back. This is an eternal kingdom, Brother Udy. This is the souls of men. It's on the line, Pastor. And like you said, if you want to go along to get along, everybody will be singing your praises. But I can tell you what, if you want to preach the whole counsel of God, there's going to be trouble knocking on your door, folks, because we're in a world that hates God. We're in a nation that hates God. We're in a nation that defiles God. We got drag queens showing up at Christian Music Awards. I mean, I'm just telling you, I see the headlines of things here and there. I'm not a news watcher anyways, but I'm not blind. And so once in a while I see these homosexuals and everything else trying to root their way in the house, getting our pulpits and a thousand other things. And it ain't just homosexuals. It's adulterers. It's fornicators. It's drunkards. It's dr- Come on now. I'm saying it's everything sitting right there in the house. There's yes. more adultery sitting right on Pentecostal pews. It'll make you vomit, brother. Listen, I just have to highlight reality, folks. I, I'm not, I have nothing but good news. But I promise you this, we have to highlight these facts. If we can't ever deal with these realities, it's why they sit there. They're never moved. They sit on our pews, sing our song, and they're never faced by the fact. And I don't care how consecrated that thing looks on the outside. Adultery can live on that heart. I don't care if you've ever cut your hair or not. Are you listening? I'm just telling you, folks. I promise you this. I'm not content to live in the ruin, brother. No, no. God's funding this ministry, not man. And if he called me to it, he's going to see me through it. Are you listening? No other way. This is the, the reality of eternity that we deal with. That ain't something to play with, brother. That ain't something to play with. I've seen these hirelings play games. The games at men, but I don't play games with men's souls. I can tell you this is too important to me. Life's too short, brother, to live in some kind of compromised religious condition. 
This world is passing away swift. This word is, world is reserved for judgment. Fire is going to consume this earth. I said fire is awaiting. Just like that old world waited on the water. I'm telling you, this world's waiting on the fire, brother. And the wrath of the Lamb will be poured out on those that rejected that hour of grace. I'm telling you, this word is still true. But I promise you this, God's going to build something. And He is building. So I know something. I know the Lord is building a church in this hour. It doesn't matter what that that claims to represent Him says. I'm telling you, in the midst of all that, there is a people that is walking with God. That have given themselves fully and wholly and completely. Are you listening here to me tonight? I want you to know that the proportion that you give yourself will be the proportion that trouble knocks on your door. But I can't. I'm glad to know that greater is he that's on the inside of me than he that is in the world and that no weapon formed against me will prosper and every tongue that rises up in judgment will be condemned because this is the heritage of the saints of God and if God be for you then who can be against you and it doesn't matter how many times that you may get knocked down there's a resurrection life it's on the inside of you and resurrection keeps getting up, brother. I'm here to tell you, it's time for you to stay the course, friend. It's going to pay off in the end. The Lord will have a church. Now, I'm not someone that wants to invite trouble. But I'll tell you what, it's unavoidable. There's no doubt that it's possible, maybe. You see, Sanballat and Tobiah, no question that they arose against the work of God. But no that this should be an encouraging word to us. I know that you're facing trouble. I know that this church is facing trouble. And I don't have to hear it from nobody's mouth. I know whatever represents God in a divine way, trouble is knocking on their door. If he can do anything, he'll take this pastor out. He'll want to take you with him. But if he strikes the shepherd, the sheep will scatter, brother. That's why you need to hold up the man of God in this hour. Don't be a hindrance to him. Be a help to him. Don't give him problems. Be for him. Be by his side. Amen him. Tell him, thank you, pastor, for preaching the word of God and loving us and caring for us. You see, maybe you're wondering the the issue of trouble in your life. But if you've given your hands to the work of the Lord to pursue His purpose, and I can promise you this, you need to understand that there's an encouraging word here to us tonight. And that's what the Lord knew long before. And that's why Daniel said, it shall be built again. You see, God knew that times long before, before they ever arrived onto the scene, before Sanballat and Tobiah ever rose their ugly head, that the Lord anticipated. Them. There's no doubt that they might enjoy the building of that wall without opposition because they knew that no matter what, they had a word from God. And friend, I'd pack up my suitcase and I'd never put that family in that van again if I didn't have a word that in the last day saith God, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
and upon my handmaids and my servants will I in that day pour out of my spirit. I want to tell you that the Lord is going to build a church in this hour. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And in the same way, Nehemiah had a word. And surely, no doubt, Nehemiah had to have known that God had already said that in troublous times, this thing is going to be built. We wonder why there's so much trouble. We think if gas prices would just drop and inflation would bottom out then we could have revival, friend. But I can tell you this. I'm not waiting on gas to go down. And I'm not biding time for another president. I'm here to tell you this, friend. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we have to work while there's day. Why do we wonder about the trouble? It's around us. He said it would be. And if it's not there, surely something can't be right. Surely if trouble wasn't around, knowing that God said it will be built in troublous times, would have surely had to cause some questions. Is this thing the real thing or not? God said this would be built in troublous times. But there's no trouble. Well, maybe what you have ain't the real thing. Because if I read this Bible right, it's going to be built again in troublous times. Oh, my. This is leaping inside of me more than it is in you, I think. But I'll tell you what. I'm no... I know that God is going to build this thing. I, I, I don't pay attention to all that talk out there, folks. I, you got you to shut that stuff off. You know what I'm saying? You, you got to shut that stuff off. You got to get in what God is saying in this hour. But I can tell you what, if trouble hadn't have been around, they'd have been only left to wonder if it was real or not. Whether or not because God said this thing can withstand any turmoil, any trouble, any bitterness, and any conflict. Because all of that will come against that which is the testimony of the Lord. But thank God by the Spirit, He said that there's going to come something. Arise up out of this ruins. And I believe that Nehemiah had to come back to the book of Daniel to gain that divine assurance and say, Hey, men, hey, women, don't you worry about what's coming against us. God done said, This thing's going to be built again. And when the enemy says to us, Are you going to revive the stones out of these heaps of rubbish? We say, oh yeah, we're going to bring a testimony of the Lord out of all the failures of yesterday. Come on, somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Who's going to help me with this music tonight? Now, I'm not through preaching. Okay, stay with me. We got off this morning. I'm at 49 minutes. I know I'm closing in on, I need to wrap this up. But I don't want you to leave shorthanded this day. Now knowing this, I'm only going to highlight this very quickly. Knowing there's a few things I want to highlight in relation to the devil's strategy. I'll give you these very quickly. 
the weapons that he brings to stop the building. Now I want you to know something, that his tactics are not very original. But this is the mind-blowing thing to me. It's the things we often know so well that overcome us. You think, that got him? That's the oldest trick in the book. That's the oldest trick in the book. But it don't take much. It's often those things we know so well. Firstly, I want to tell you, there's a weapon of ridicule. It's a very simple thing. It's a weapon of a child. Ridicule. Mockery. It's something criticizing. It's people standing around laughing at you. Ha, ha, ha. Look at him. If a fox go up on that wall, are they going to build this? Are they going to bring anything out of this? Failed testimony of God. That which used to represent him. Can anything come out of that such failure? Can God revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish? Have the ruins of the failures of life's mistakes, sins, whatever it may be. Can God bring anything out of that? They're laughing at him. Oh, if a fox go up that wall, it'll crumble to pieces. Ha, ha, ha. Seems pretty childish. But how many of you like getting laughed at? You ever been laughed at? You, made, you ever been made the centerpiece of ridicule before? It didn't feel very good, did it? It's a weapon of ridicule. So much so that Nehemiah had to turn back to the Lord. It says in verse 4, chapter 4, Hear, O God, we're despised. Turn the reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Well, I can promise you getting laughed at is not very fun. But I assure you the devil knows how to choose his tools, brother. I don't want you to miss these. The enemy will, the enemy, let me say it like this. He will find people in your life whose opinions really do matter. You see, there are certain folks, the devil knows how to choose his tools. See, there are certain folks in our lives, there are certain realms of society that you could say that are out there that when they despise us, they actually confirm to us our faith. You know what I'm saying? They confirm we're on the right track. We're, we're with the Lord. But I can tell you, Satan is a master at finding a way to weaken your hands and cease you from fulfilling the purpose of God. I promise you, he will see to you that criticism comes from places that really matter to you. Be your own family. Be the people you work with. He knows how to cause you to quit, folks. He knows where to find that weakness in our life, the feebleness. He knows the blemishes that mark us. He knows how to attack us. He knows how to highlight our faults, our failures, and bring everything back upon us. But that purpose behind doing all of that is to stop us from building, to accept despair. Maybe you're there tonight, but I want to tell you no matter what, you cannot quit. You must fulfill the purpose of God. Secondly, there is the weapon of confusion. And conspired against them together, it says in verse number 8 and 9, 
to fight Jerusalem and to hinder it. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. So what was the tactic of the enemy here? It was a very orderly process in this building. And what did the enemy want to do? He wanted to come and disrupt because everyone was in their rightful place. And there's nothing more the enemy wants to disrupt in the church than to take people out of their rightful place. Did you know the Bible says that he sets us as members in his body as it pleases him? It's not how it pleases you. It's not where you want to go to church. It's not where you want to serve in the ministry. It's not your choice, brother. He he sets members in the body as it pleases him. We are many members. We are one body. And the Lord sets us where he wants us. I have no rights to choose what the vocation of ministry. It's the call of God. If he says, I want you to travel, you're going to travel. If he says, I want you to go here, you're going to go there. If you're going to live there, you're going to live there. Because God said you would. And there's nothing more that the devil wants to disrupt than getting people out of their rightful place because that causes confusion. It gets people mixed up. It destroys unity. But they not only prayed about this, they set a watch against it. Brothers, how many of us really set a watch against these kind of things in the church? I've watched this junk be brushed under a thousand rugs because no one wants to deal with things in the light. We just want to grace it. Well, the way you grace it is you get in the mess of it. And you go to your brother and you talk about it. You don't hide from this. Well, I'm just going to grace the thing. No, you're not going to grace. Grace deals with it. He didn't just pray about the thing. He made the phone call. He said, oh, watch against it. I'm going to make sure because the devil likes to get in. Places to create confusion. But remember, that's Satan's purpose. And how often have we seen this weapon become a success in the church? Setting people against one another. Challenging, disputing, suspicious of one another. We must watch and pray. And finally, because I want to give this altar call before I hit one hour. I want to tell you that there's a weapon of discouragement. And this is a powerful one. He said in verse 10, The strength of the bearer of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we're not able to build. Now this is a different strategy from an outward attack. This is an inward attack. A weapon of discouragement. Have you ever been discouraged before? Discouragement has a destructive force to it. It's conscience insufficiency. It's, it's, it's getting tired. It's getting weary. It's, it's no strength left. It's, it's silenced praise. Judah was the tribe of praise. And nothing recognized weakness in the people of God than this praise and worship team. Because when that worship service is dragging, the strength of Judah Judah's recognizing the bearers of burdens are getting weak. Life is so discouraging them, they can't lift up their hands and worship the Lord in victory. It's a weapon of discouragement. It's, a, it's the applied pressure on our insufficiency that creates weakness and discouragement. He highlights all the places where you're failing. 
And it gets you looking simply at them. But I want to tell you, if you allow that enemy, he'll press on that hopelessness. He'll make you see that it's impossible to get over, get around, or get through. And if he gets you there, just looking at nothing but the rubbish, I can assure you he'll have you a place of defeat for sure. If you would stand with me here tonight. Situations overwhelming, seemingly impossible. Looking at things that once served a purpose but no longer have value anymore. And they came to realize that in their circumstances and in their lives, all that was once a value to the Lord is now seeming just to be rubbish, a hindrance to the building of the work of God. You know, there can be a hindrance to the accumulation of spiritual things that were once value in the past, but now just have just kind of become a wreckage, and they just simply stand in the way. That's why they had the dung gate. You had to move that stuff out of the city. You couldn't let that pile up. We don't know much about that gate anymore in the church. We try to hold on to everything. That's why the church is filled with a lot of stuff. Why wow, we tried to hold on to everything. We failed to realize Jesus let some people walk. I.e. the rich young ruler. He looked to his own disciples. It was all those who were walking away from him and leaving. And he said, you going too? Come on now, don't get me preaching here. I'm trying to close. Say amen. Some stuff has to be moved out, folks, so the work can continue. You got to understand, some people just can't be held on to. They don't want to be. And if you're not careful, 10% of them will take up 90% of your time. And I want everybody in, folks. But I'm not going to drown trying to save somebody that don't want to learn to swim. It shall be built again. <laughs> Even in troublous times. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just lift our hands to the Lord. Come on, we're just going to find the direction of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, just magnify the Lord with me right now. Let's exalt His name together. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that this Word of God, Lord, whatever twist, whatever turn, Lord, God, that this has taken tonight, God, I trust that it has found us. That the Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword divides asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow, it uncovers us, Lord. It reveals, it separates, God, that soulish man from the spiritual man. Oh, God, I ask, Lord, that you would let it resonate in every heart here tonight, Lord. That we have courage tonight. We have hope. Because, Lord, we are encouraged by the difficulty that's around us. Because we know that in such conditions, we have the promise that you are going to build it again. And maybe you're in here tonight. And you say, you know, Brother Jeremy, 
That's pretty much where I'm at tonight. Is I'm looking at things that were once of spiritual value. That had become rubbish all around me. And maybe it's a direct result of your own personal failure. Your own willful disobedience and sin. But I'll tell you that today, tonight, there's hope for you. Because I want you to know that the stones out of rubbish can still be revived. And you may be asking yourself, I don't know if my testimony will ever be built again. But I want to tell you by the Holy Ghost, it shall be built again. Even in troublous times. It may not be an easy road to recovery. But I can tell you that God is in the reconstruction business. He's in the restoration business. And I want to tell you if there is the enemy highlighting all of the failures and all of the weakness of your testimony. That weapon of discouragement is trying to bury you. I want to tell you the Lord wants to lift you up here tonight. And I want to open this altar up to you right now. If that's you, I I just feel a real directness toward that right now. And if that's you, I want you to come. And I want you to allow the Lord to, to revive that stone out of the heap of rubbish. I, I, I'll, just, I'll just, just allow the Lord to begin to restore that testimony in your life. Come on, allow Him to remove that weapon of discouragement from you and know whatever it is that is a wreckage around you. I want you to stand on this promise right now. It shall be built again. I don't know. It may be your marriage. It may be your children. It may be your own personal testimony. But I want to tell you that God is able to revive the stones. Matter of fact, He said He would if we'll put our hands to the work. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, God's building you up. This is helping somebody right now. Come on, you're finding encouragement in this Word of God.